0: The pandemic has opened nurses' eyes to seek out new careers in nursing.
1: We always get more questions about what other opportunities there are in nursing other than working at the bedside.
0: Both of us have our master's degrees and it has afforded us career advancement, flexibility of schedules, and work-life balance. Going back to school is always an option.
1: And Samuel Merritt University has been educating nurses for over 100 years. They're consistently
0: ranked top in the U.S. for diversity and highest-paid graduates.
1: In order to help nurses advance their education during these crazy times, they are offering over a dozen different types of easily obtainable scholarships, starting at $10,000 for any nurse who enrolls in the spring 2022 semester in either their online MSN FMP or DNP FMP programs. So visit them at
0: smumsn.com. Again, that is smumsn.com. Hello, is this thing on? Do you think they can hear us? Nah, let's say it again. Hi, and welcome to the Gritty Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered discussion related to health and
1: healthcare. My name is Amy. And my name is Sarah. And we are your podcast hosts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Amazon, or any other podcast listening platform, don't forget to subscribe so you can get updates to when we have our latest episodes. Also, don't forget to rate and review us.
0: And if you like what you're hearing and you love our advocacy work, don't forget to go to www.grittynurse.com and click on the
1: donate button. As little as $1 or $2 a month for a total of $12 a year will help us with our monthly podcast costs such as website hosting, our hosting platform,
0: audio equipment, and the time and energy it takes us to put out good quality episodes. We thank you and we appreciate you. Cheers, guys. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers. So it's been a really tough year and I think that, you know... We deserve a glass of wine (laughs) because like, oh man, like between today and the last 20 months, it's been, let's just say cheers. We actually have one of our most favorite guests to be on the show. You know, when we have Matthew here, it is a treat. I'm just letting you know, every time he's here, it's a treat. So, I can't wait to get into this episode. Do We We don't need to introduce Matt. Do, do we need to, you know, maybe maybe Matthew, do you mind introducing yourself? Just, to, just in case, you know, people haven't listened and heard other episodes with you. Can you just quickly introduce yourself?
2: My name is Matthew. I am Amy's cousin and I too am a nurse. I'm also a student. I'm doing my RN. I'm an RPN. Uh, and it's been very interesting during COVID. I'll say that.
1: And can you tell our listeners what areas you've worked in?
2: I started my career, oh, 13 years ago, wow, in, I guess, community nursing, and then I went to primary care uh, and sexual health, and then I moved into the operating room, which is where I am currently.
0: We actually spoke about this, I guess, a couple days Mm. ago, and you told me a story that I think there's a lot of learnings from it. There's learnings from it for... Nursing students, there's learnings from it from you know being an established nurse because you are a nurse and have been a nurse for 13 years. Yep. Yeah. And there's also some stories and some learnings for physicians and physician learners. There's a lot to unpack. But before I give it all away, mm-hmm. Matthew, tell us the story.
2: Um, before I do, I just want to, um, I guess, carry on to that statement. Uh, I think that it, it it can go beyond healthcare um, and go into any field really. Uh, like the moral of the story is is respect, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that everybody deserves it. So I was in a situation where myself and the circulating nurse were counting because a case that we were working on had gone from uh, laparoscopic to uh, open. So we had to open up additional instruments and count those, and that's part of the process. And it's it's a very well known, I guess, sequence, but. What had ended up happening was the surgeons had started the case before we were done counting, and were asking for instruments. And you know, to my reply, I guess the the surgery was continuing because we were transitioning. So they they weren't they didn't they weren't starting per se. They were all they were still going. So they were asking for instruments, and I had said to them, uh, "Just wait a minute, we're still in the middle of our count." And they were being demanding. And I was saying, you know, are these instruments needed right now? Is the patient in dire need right now? And um, they were like, no, but we need those instruments now. And what they were doing actually was not uh, a crucial situation in which I had to stop what I was doing at that moment, like break count and provide them with instruments. And I was like, you know, I really don't think that, you know, we should stop our count because you need these instruments to do this thing that you could wait a couple of minutes for. And again, the demand happened. So um, I took that instrument and I slammed it down on my mayo stand. And when I slammed it down on my (laughs) mayo stand, I said, here, take it. Take the instrument that you so wanted and needed because you clearly do not care what we are doing or the process in which we are going through. And then a whole bunch of apologies had popped up. And I was like, no, 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 no. Keep this. Keep those to yourself because... All of you do this. So right.
0: I, I, I'm not,
2: I don't want this to be a situation in which anybody that's listening feels like I'm attacking anyone. I reacted in pure frustration. And I feel like a lot of nurses, quite frankly, are frustrated and maybe don't react. But I, I, I react sometimes. So, um, you know, they had apologized and were like, you know, we're, we won't ask for any more instruments until you're done your count, And I'm like, I beg to differ. You know, after that, we had a conversation about what had transpired and like, I had said to them, you know, I I probably shouldn't have exploded, but I need you to understand where I'm coming from in this sort of situation. You know the rules, all of you know the rules. I'm like, but all of you do these things where you demand us left, right, and center when you actually don't need us left, right, and center or respect, you know, that we're going through a process like account uh, and, and wait instead you sit there you complain openly and you you make us feel bad about it and gaslight us you know they agree that this this does happen but one of them had made a comment and said um you know you're right but i believe that the doctor one of the doctors should be respected or shown respect in the middle of an operation especially in front of the residents so i didn't respond to that really mostly because i was a little bit shocked with that being said I agree that they should be respected. However, we should as well. Like respect should be a mutual thing. It shouldn't be that I should respect you because these people are watching. No, you should respect me regardless if these people are watching or not. And I should respect you the same. But if I'm not getting that respect, you're not going to get anything from me Mm
1: -hmm. except
2: this tone and that much attitude.
1: And I think that it's it's important for our listeners to know, too, the importance of the count, right, in terms of mm-hmm. the surgery, because yeah. if the count was off or let's say, heaven forbid, an instrument was left inside the patient, that would come back to you as a nurse because that's your responsibility as a surgical nurse.
2: Absolutely. So, you know, when situations like this happen, we do get in trouble. Like if we can't find an instrument or a sharp um, for those of you who don't know what sharps are, those are like blades and sutures and sharp objects that we use in the patient. So if we don't find them and our count is uh, miscounted or incorrect, uh, that falls on us. It actually should fall on the whole team, but the whole team for some reason excludes doctors.
0: Yeah. You know, I think this this goes to where we have to point, what are the 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 guiding principles that OR nurses have to follow. And there is, let me say, it is a 469-page document called the ORNAC standards. So the Operating Room Association of Canada's standards. And by like this is essentially the OR nurses Bible. And there are like they they break it down to you know what happens in the perioperative situation what's interoperative what's post-operative mm-hmm. and the surgical count is hugely hugely important it's almost as important as you know when we are pulling out medications for medication it's dist- your administration you know so there's the whole like i'm trying to remember what the saying is but it's something like essentially it's like don't bother me while i'm ca- while i'm pulling out my meds so i don't make a mistake what is what's the statement do you guys remember it's, like, a weird thing where, like, you're uh, you're by the, you know, the med cart, and it's, like, a sign that's, like, I'm in the mm. zone. Not, like, Britney Spears in the zone, but, like, it in the zone. Though. Anyways. <laughs> but essentially, like, bringing it back to kind of what we were talking about. It should be very similar to the principle of like giving medication. So again, when you're doing your surgical count, you really don't want to be interrupted or disrupted because that count is super important. It's important because we do know from quality standards and various different incidences occur that, you know, we don't want to leave a pair of mayos or scissors in you. We don't want to leave sponges or cotton balls or any of those (laughs) in you. So it's really important that the nurses, when they're counting, they aren't interrupted. But there's so many other things to kind of, unpack from that situation especially when I know people hate hearing that unpack well
1: no pun intended
0: (laughs) oh yeah no pun intended but I mean I think people have to understand that you know the respect should be paid and it should be that you know you're you're mindful of that interdisciplinary team and to allow people to do the roles that they're assigned to do so you know the scrub nurse has her role or his role to play the um, circulating nurse has their role to play the the Surgical assist has their role to play. The surgeon has their role to play, et cetera. Yes. But we all have to be mindful and respectful of those roles. And this is where I think it's so important that we actually put sims and we do sims and we do sims with teams. So people have a better, un- and I guess it would be more than just a regular simulation. It'd be like an in situ or in you simulation where people can really see what is the roles of those various different people, of those various different disciplines. Cause The fact that that person came back and said to you, you know, don't disrespect me while my resident is here. That should have been a teachable moment to be like, hey, actually, I made the wrong call here. I shouldn't have interrupted this person. And in the future, when you are in the driver's seat, don't do this shit because you will get your ass cussed out. Like, don't do it. It's not okay. And I just don't understand why it turned into to be honest, a hierarchical thing. Like I understand that there's respect or I just don't I just don't see that you were being disrespectful. You could have handled it a different way, sure. But I think that the fact of the matter is they were interrupting your process and they should have been like, Yeah, sorry, my bad. We'll wait. Cause there wasn't anything pressing to interrupt you and to continue to belabor the point of asking you for those scissors during that time. Mm-hmm. There really wasn't.
1: And just to talk about the nurse physician relationship here like what was your relationship Matt with this physician prior to this situation and i have you spoken to this physician since that happened
2: Absolutely i am um, i i love this person like i'm actually quite close with them so i i don't i don't think that that little incident would have done anything for uh, to our relationship the comment afterwards was a little bit Weird, and I, I still haven't addressed that with them. But I'll talk to them about it in my own time. But I'm I'm fine with them. I still I still love them. I think that they're great people. I think I don't know what was going through their mind at that time. I think they were being impatient, and I think that typically um, surgeons can be impatient. I understand, you know, money is time, and maybe that's not even the case. Sometimes it's like, well, we have a lot to do in this day, and we just got to get through this, or other reasons. I don't think that that was the correct way to for them to have handled that situation and even for that individual to have said what they had said afterwards and it wasn't about them specifically it was about the other surgeon I just wanted to, to make that clear like I do understand where they're coming from because they're right like they do need to be seen as respected in the operating room but I need them to see where I'm coming from and I don't think it's a hard conversation, quite frankly, uh, to have with somebody when it comes to respect. And maybe that's just because of who I am. I'm not afraid of confrontation, not always. Um, but also, uh, as I was mentioning, I'm in school and we we learn a lot about advocacy. And it's become very intense, actually, to the point where you guys come up <laughs> because you guys advocate so much. But we learn a lot about advocating not just for the client but for ourselves and for our colleagues I've been blessed to have so many people around me that are able to advocate and who have shown me that you know my voice means something and it's 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 such an interesting time as a nurse uh to be in the field where our voices are being heard a lot more than they they typically were I don't know I feel like I can't go wrong in this situation because it's kind of like well you guys are actually doing the wrong thing and I'm actually not going to let you step on me because I'm what a nurse and we're badasses. this.
0: And it's also, I think the other piece that's really important is you're doing it because it's patient safety, mm-hmm. right? You're not doing it because of some selfish no. reason or whatever the case may be. And I think we're all on the same team here. We're on team P, whatever team patient, right? So mm-hmm. why not make sure that we're keep, we're doing all the things that we need to to ensure that at the end of the day, the patient's, the main focus. They're the ones that we're wanting to keep safe. And that's why these regulations and these standards are put into place because they've seen errors happen in the past. So again, it's just like refocus the conversation. And and I mean, maybe that could have been something that you could have added to be like, hey, you know, the reason I'm doing this is to keep the patient safe. At the end of the day, that's my rationale. My rationale isn't because I think you're a bad person or I'm trying to be snippy or whatever. It's just like, this is what I need to do to make sure that I keep my patients safe on, while they're on the OR table, while they're getting their surgery done. Because you know what? It's their best interest that we have in mind, that we're all on the same team. But I, I'm still really baffled by that that last piece. But maybe you can tell us a little bit about like, how, how do you think
2: the situation resolved? I spoke with uh, the OR coordinator as well as my manager. They're the most senior members of the team. Actually, that's not true. But they're, I guess... In management, So I spoke to them and it was kind of off the record because I didn't want to make a complaint because like I said, I know these people personally, they're my friends. Um, But I wanted to know if I did the wrong thing. So when I spoke to the coordinator first, she was more of the one who was like, you need to fill out an incident report because this is unacceptable X, Y and Z. And in these situations, you know, if you don't feel comfortable actually having this conversation or if it became a situation where. They were being offensive for whatever reason, or demanding, or just a complete asshole. Let's just use that word. Then, yeah, absolutely, fill out an incident report. There's nothing wrong with whistleblowing at this age, and during this time, it's sexy. So do it. Um, <laughs> but I, I didn't want to go down that path. So I, I had just said to her, you know, like you, you've been work, you've been a nurse for x amount of years and you've been in the operating room for x amount of years and have you come across situations like this and what have you done and she's she's basically said the exact same thing that i did like you know you you literally stop them and say at this time we are doing the surgical count and we will get to you you know when this is done like unless there is a situation where it's immediate and in an emergency then you 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 know, do whatever you have to do to stop that. And sometimes you don't even get a chance to count during those situations.
1: I think that what you did was like really brave because it it served many purposes. I think number one, just advocating and practicing, it it is a skill that needs to be learned, right? And then number two, for address it in the moment if you can. And then just for everyone else that was in the room, other nurses, other physicians, other members of the team to hear that I think was also important, even if it felt uncomfortable, knowing that you just stood up for what was right, having everyone hear that I think was really important.
2: Thank you. <laughs> I, I appreciate that because I agree. I think that I think that nursing has had this sort of um this this kind of lens on it where like it was it was so hushed. We can't talk about situations that are one political or or I guess just issues that we have with allied healthcare physicians and, and and so on. Like, you know, we, we don't want to rock the boat. We're supposed to be nurses. We're supposed to be nurturing. But, you know, our mental health is affected 95% of the time. So mm-hmm. if, if we're trying to take yeah. care of ourselves, we need to start speaking up for ourselves. And I do understand that in situations, it can be scary. Some people are assholes. Some people don't deserve yep. your time attention or energy and unfortunately you have to work with those people and that's that's fine quite frankly you know what you give them what you need to give them for those hours and if if they're belligerent or if they're just not being a, like a good team player then you report them there's nothing I I don't think there's anything wrong with reporting somebody honestly because they're just going to screw up the whole team so in that situation yeah. I think I did the right thing as well I think that me going to my manager and coordinator all to validate uh, the situation, you know, did make it feel a lot better. Like my coordinator was like, you did the right thing, they know better. And I had to talk her down from, you know, <laughs> going after them. Um, but my manager was also like, I'm, I'm proud of you for for speaking up to them. And I think this is, you know, great. And uh, she had said to me as well, actually, you no, know, my coordinator had said to me, don't you ever let anybody push you around here. And I turned around and said, <laughs> do I ever? And she goes, no. No, you don't. Not even me. And I was like, ah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like, I think these are, these are, like you said, Matthew, these are such important qualities for nurses to have and for nurses to see that, you know, at the end of the day, that we are a part of a team. We're no one's handmaidens. We're no one's like, we're no one's stepping stool. We are part of the team that's supposed to be working collaboratively together. And I think that, you know, these stories are really empowering, right? I'm, I'm not saying that, hey guys i'm not saying every nurse should turn around slam <laughs> scissors down on the table and be like take your scissors but these are empowering conversations that you could have because i i don't know maybe just in my history maybe sarah you can touch on your experience in the or every time I was in there, it was kind of contentious. There's always this environment where like there was a real, di- that's kind of where I felt the most power dynamic and the the most difference between that hierarchy between nurses and physicians, always in the OR. I think, I don't know if there's, Um, a little bit more in terms of like power trippiness or whatever the Mm -hmm. issue is. But whenever I used to feel that real tension, it was always in the OR. And to be honest, just to kind of let you know, if you're a non-clinical folk listening and we're talking about all these different things, we're actually referring to things that are on something called the surgical safety checklist. And again, this is a part of our The Ontario, the ORNAC standards, as well as a part of an accreditation standard. And accreditation is, I'm sorry, here's my boring blurb, but accreditation are standards that all hospitals that that are following this model have to follow and make sure that they're they're providing it. And honestly, to me, the surgical safety checklist was always this like huge deal, you know. um, It is. So there's three main functions, three main parts. So there's the briefing. So that's, you know, after the patient after the transfer from the operating room bed, but before the induction of anesthesia. So before the patient gets put to sleep, then there's the timeout immediately prior to the incision, which you're counting as well. And then the debriefing. So after surgery is complete, but before the patient is transferred from the theater or from the OR. I always just found that those three things, like just being, all right, we're going to do the surgical safety checklist the eye rolling, the, the, you know, I remember having times where, you know, I was the, I was scrubbed in and having physicians grab, you know, scissors or the scalpel off of my, my Mayo stand before we've even started. And like, it was always just this contentious situation. And I don't know, man, it was, I'll, I'll be honest, I did not like working in
1: the OR. You know what? Actually, this reminds me of something. So, when you talked about the briefing, part of that is also to prevent what we call never events. So, I've heard of cases in the States where they, for example, amputated the wrong limb. Like, these are, this is why we have these standards because, or even we put a, like, literally an X on the leg that you're supposed to amputate because we never want these things to happen, in addition to making sure that we keep track of the count and all of that I feel like with surgery it's it's more intense because you're you're basically stuck in the operating room with a physician for an extended period of time whereas on other units you know the doctor's coming they're going they're in the room they're out of the room but you're stuck <laughs> it's like once you're scrubbed in you are stuck there and I think depending on the physician and the dynamic it, it is really apparent based on their personality and the team dynamic. Like, is this going to be really tense? Is this going to be like, you know, easygoing? And some physicians I've worked with have, I would say like big egos. I don't know how else to say it. They have big egos. They're very particular, about what they want, there's literally, Amy and I have seen cue cards where you know there's their glove size the order that they want to put it on like like you have to hold it open and they just have to slide their hand in and if you don't do it at the right moment like honestly they're gonna lose it you guys have
2: a misconception of <laughs> no. the operating room I'm sorry
1: no like like I, you get berated no,
0: let me tell you honestly let me tell you a story guys I so I remember those cue cards so like and the thing is if you didn't have them cue cards memorized that was drama and you know yeah. it was scary for being like I remember when they're like, oh yeah, you're going to do your OR orientation. You're going to be in the operating room for the first like four weeks. It's going to be fun. It was not fun. I sweat buckets every single time I went in there because they're like, I would have a nurse tell me, hey, you know what? This doctor is great to learn from. So if you put the wrong thing up, they'll point they'll point and say, hey, that's the one I want or whatever. And then there was doctors that would like cut their eye at you and be like, why is this person even here? And I'm like, whoa, like I am learning. And how how do you think that would make an individual feel like when they're coming to learn in the OR just be patient with them like this is why probably I hated going to the OR because if I didn't have those instruments down or if I you know I god forbid I pulled out the size five and a half gloves instead of the size five glove or I didn't have that doctor's cue card remembered (laughs) it was like a shit show and I don't Mm -hmm. think it should have to be like that like you know what I agree Treat people with respect, right? At the end of the day, if there's a, someone who's new and they're learning, just give them that time. They don't they don't know all the stuff, and you don't want to scare people away from clinical areas. Like I don't think that's okay. Just don't be an
2: asshole. I completely agree with you. Don't be an asshole. I feel like that should be the word of the day. Brought to you by Matthew.
1: That's a new hashtag. DBAA. Don't be an asshole.
2: So I I think you guys have a have a a common misconception of the operating room. I will say during certain cases and during certain times, and yes, with certain surgeons, it can be very intense. The 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 surgical pauses that you had uh, brought up, the checklist, those are supposed to be intense because we want everyone to be on the same page. So like if I'm in the middle of still setting up my table and they start the pause list, they'll uh, the checklist, they'll be like, Matthew, can you just turn around and pay attention? And I will, like, I mean, it yeah, doesn't I stop agree. me. Uh, I mean it doesn't really hinder me in any way, shape, or form. The surgeon sorry, the uh, the patient's awake at that time as well, so they're able to answer if there's any any issues. Like we ask them, you know, you you get your checks, you you read out their their yeah. um you ask them to tell you their name, you ask them to tell you what they're doing, you look at their ID number, you read that out loud and you you identify it. And you go through what you're doing. Anesthesia says their bit. If there are any nursing concerns, we bring them up at the time. And if the patient has any concerns or questions, they bring it up at the time. So those are supposed to be intense. Um, And before you cut skin, you have another one. And then like you were saying, at the end, um, you have your debriefing. Because sometimes something that might be simple turns into something that's more complicated. So you have to have... right, right. Everybody needs to be on that same page as well. For me, surgeons are in their element when they're in the operating room so they're having fun they're in their place where they enjoy work the most and i enjoy it because they're having fun too so if you're working with me music is playing (laughs) (laughs) Brittany, we need to hear that music and (laughs) and, and you know that i know half of half of what's happening on these playlists because if they're if anything, they're mine. Um, (laughs) But there's music playing and and I like to bring a happy atmosphere to work because why would I want to work anywhere where everyone's miserable or work with a person who's miserable? If you're miserable, I'll tell you you're miserable. And I'll tell my manager you're miserable too like I'll tell everyone you're miserable because I don't want to work with somebody like that if you have issues don't right. bring that to work I have all often found that actually these these surgeons are a lot more intense when they're on the floors and a lot scarier when they're on the floors um because I feel like you know they're they're just in a different place you know they're they whatever expectations they have for what's happening on the floor is different. Um, I feel like because the operating room has X amount of nurses, sometimes they're in pods, so it's the same nurses that you're working with. You you have a certain relationship with them, or these nurses understand what's happening, so they're able to to not read your mind, but anticipate what comes next. Or if it's not a pod situation, like it's 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 a fair amount of nurses that know what comes next. Um, And you know them as well. So I find that they are a lot, they they just seem to be a lot happier in the operating room to me. But like, you're right. Like there are situations where the surgeons, you know, lose their shit or say inappropriate things. And you know, I'll clock them on that.
0: (laughs) If I have a student
2: or if I'm orientating somebody and the surgeon yells at them, I'm not going to let them get away with that. Are you kidding me? This person's learning.
0: Well, why did it happen to me? Well, I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's 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 the way to be, right? Like we we can't keep letting these kind of toxic relationships occur in in any clinical situation because the only person that you're putting at harm. The patient. Is the patient. Thank you. You're not, you, I mean, at the end of the, and I, let me preface this with saying, not all of the times I was in the OR, they were yeah. awful. But because my first initial reactions and responses were really tainted and were really negative, it kind of shaded the whole experience for me. And that's why I was like, hell to this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be with people that are going to treat me horribly. I'll just go do my labor and delivery thing where I have to see the doctor really only when you know there's issues and when the baby has to be born and sometimes not and- even then. So I, I like that autonomy, but it's just, I don't know. I still find like the ORs is a scary
2: place. Well, I've had the same experience says, do you remember when I started my Aura career? And in that first place that I had worked at, it was just a horrible situation. And I was actually let go because of that situation. And I, I didn't go back for a year because I was terrified of the operating room. And I remember when I started back in the operating room, I was still terrified. And I had a really, really good nurse that was orientating me and who was very, very understanding and very gentle. And I think that um, it goes to what I'm saying when it comes to nurse and, and physician respect. Nurse-to-nurse nurse respect is also something that needs to be drilled into the brains of many and every nurse. Because I'm I, I'm really tired of hearing bullshit like, at this place, we eat our young. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because I'm a mouthful. So <laughs> if you ever tried that with me, you'd you get my foot first. <laughs> it's Um, so I don't like being in situations where I feel like I'm being attacked so right I don't think it's appropriate for anyone to attack anyone um, yeah. especially especially if it's a new person who's coming on like I get it the operating room is high stress don't yell at don't yell at this person like it's gonna you know, make it worse <laughs> yeah. exactly if, if I'm scrubbed in and and you know they're not moving as fast as you need them to. You can say, Matthew, take over at this time, or right. I'll just do it like I will probably just do it myself because I'll see that they're not keeping up. And I'll say to them, you know, it's, it's nothing personal. It's just that I need to be here at this time. So just take a step back and watch. But screaming at any individual in the operating room doesn't help you or the patient, because when you yell at me and we still have to work together, I'm uncomfortable now. I'm so right. uncomfortable right. Right. and and quite frankly, I might be shaking and I might not be moving as quickly as I am now because I'm distracted that I'm freaking out because you just yelled at me Well, the patient's bleeding and now you're acting erratic and like an asshole and I'm more than sure in 10 minutes you're going to apologize <laughs> and I'm not going to accept it. So don't <laughs> yell at me or anyone else.
0: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I always question, right? And maybe Sarah, you can kind of touch on this. Like, is there any reason really, like, I want everyone to think about this. And I want even people who, who might not be working in healthcare. Is there ever a reason to raise your voice at another individual in the workplace?
1: You know what? I think you're right, Amy. Like, we are all adults here, okay? We have professions. We are... Here's the thing. I feel like people that are so courteous to patients and then turn around and yell at their fellow colleagues are the scariest people of all. I call them the Jekyll and the Hyde because I'm like, and the thing is like, it takes a lot. Like you said, Matthew, if you've been yelled at in the operating room, it takes a lot to repair that damage if you can repair it. It So why not just talk to the person in a rational tone? I suppose if it's an emergency and you need like some piece of equipment just yelling it so that someone can get it to you, maybe because a patient's coding. I don't even know if that would be appropriate in every situation. But like, I think it's also the tone, right? Like, there's, there's raising your voice because you need to be heard over a lot of other voices. Or there's like yelling for the sake of yelling because you want to assert your power over somebody. And that's not right because we all work as a team and there's going to be a situation where you need that person. And if you've damaged it to the point of no return, it's not going to be the same dynamic. And ultimately it's going to, it could result in patient harm.
0: Yeah, I agree, Sarah. Like I'll be honest. I think this is, this is me kind of in any situation. If you yell at me, like I just don't hear you anymore. It's just like, you've lost all credibility. Not saying that I'm going to just not listen to what you say, but I think in various different situations, I don't think there's ever a real reason for you to yell at somebody. Because I think that at that point, you've lost control of the situation. You've lost control of yourself if now you're yelling at someone else.
2: So the only time I feel like people should be yelling is if there's a situation where you need to get someone's attention quickly. So if there's a cinder block falling on from the sky onto my head, I hope to God you yell. <laughs>
0: sky is falling the sky is falling
2: <laughs> like if there's a car coming at me i hope you yell um in situations like a code blue quite frankly what happens is everyone enters the room during a code blue and it's not always helpful although you have a whole bunch of helpful bodies but sometimes there's so much happening that you actually have to raise your voice in these situations
0: and I agree. like i agree
2: I, I agree like i it it Uh, Sarah had made the the comments about tone. Yes, tone has everything to do with that. Language has everything to do with that. Like if you're screaming out profanities, and you're doing it in the worst way, I'm going to throw syringes at you. I won't, but that's what I'll think. So (laughs) you there are very few reasons why you should be yelling at somebody. So I, I agree with that.
0: Yeah, like I think there's a difference between raising your voice to control the room and to and to kind of let people know that we need to refocus and reset in terms of what the work that needs to be done. But literally I, I'm talking about that person to person interaction. Like me yelling at you. Nah man, I don't I don't think there's any reason. Like and honestly, we've seen it time and time again. And I think that that's gotta stop. Someone, like I mean, I think every nurse, physician, if it's physician to physician, like people need to clap back and be like, Mm-mm, you're not going to talk to me like that. like I bet you wouldn't
2: yell at your dog like that. Seriously. Don't yell at me like that. I agree with you. And that's why, that's why I'm- I very- don't take
0: my husband yelling at me. I'm not going to take you yelling at me. <laughs>
2: that's why I, I'm so <laughs> big on people finding their voices, especially nurses, um, and just saying, no, you actually can't treat me that way. And I'm so good at saying, no, you actually can't treat me that way. Even if I'm talking to management, like, you can't raise your mm. voice at me. Are you kidding? I'm unionized. I will, uh, <laughs> I will never forget. I love that. Uh, that
0: Matthew. Don't raise your voice uh, at me. I'm unionized.
2: <laughs> that is such a
1: good quote. I will never forget when I started nursing. I started with a girl at the same time. So she was, like, junior like me. And she actually clapped back really hard at the charge nurse. She yelled at her. She yelled at her, yeah, in the nursing station. And supposedly, this charge nurse went back into the break room and started crying. I was floored. I still remember this to this day. She was like a little, tiny little girl, right? Like, super junior like me. And she clapped back and made this senior charge nurse cry in the break room. Good. No. And I still remember. (laughs) She's like, like, I'm not going to say her name, but she's like, listen... I'm new. I'm still learning here. Okay, you need to you need to be easier on me, right? She actually said that. Good. Good. I agree, Matthew. I agree.
2: <laughs> I have also put nurses in their place during clinical because I'm I'm not going to let you treat me like I'm an idiot or like I'm your dog or, or below or or whatnot. Yep. You can't talk to me that way. You can't talk to anyone that way. I'm a human being. I would never speak to you like that unless. You treated me that way. I would give you a dose of your own medicine.
0: Like you said at the very beginning of this episode, Matthew, this is about mutual respect. Mm. That's it, right? It's just treat me as you would treat someone that you respect to the highest regard, right? We are team members here. I'm not the piece of gum on the bottom of your shoe. I am your colleague, Treat me with respect, and I'll treat you with respect. This, it's that simple mantra of "do unto others as you would have them do unto you." It's
2: the golden rule. That's exactly what that it's is. The golden like, rule. <laughs> if, but like I said, like if if you if you really want to treat me that way, I will show you exactly how that feels. And I don't like doing that myself. But you know, at the end of the day, if I if I'm feeling like I'm being respected then you're going to feel the exact same thing. When people are like, "Oh, how do we get high functioning teams?
0: How do we get teams that work really well together? How do we get, you know, nurses and physicians collaborating?" The main thing, the main thing is treating each other with respect. That's yes, it. Absolutely. If if you see me as a human being first, you're going to treat me with respect. Absolutely. These are really good times to have these conversations and these are really good times to change the way that we do things. I, we know that the status quo can no longer be upheld. We need to change it and we need to have better partnerships and relationships in the or and I think that starts by having conversations and just being respectful to one another.
2: Absolutely. Cheers. I completely cheers. I completely agree with you.
1: Cheers. Um
2: I think that I have actually been saying this to a lot of people and and maybe you guys can um, give me your point of view on this. So I feel like 2020 has been the year of of advocacy and I think it, it all started with the death of George Floyd. May his soul rest in peace because I think that the BLM uh, movement had sparked just awareness to a lot of what's been happening and I think that nurses have been so loud with how they feel about COVID, being overworked, underpaid, um, being put in very shitty conditions, and and you know like having to deal with the fact that you you get like one day off and you're still being harassed to come back in, I I think that right now it, it's such a crucial time and important time for us to be able to to speak and to talk and to say how we feel as nurses, and I, I, I don't. Honestly, don't think that there's going to be much repercussion coming from the uh, mm-hmm. coming from a nurse saying, I'm tired and I, I'm tired of being treated this way and I'm tired of feeling this way.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's more about saying it to the right people too, mm-hmm. right? So complaining in the break room is not going to go anywhere. No. You need to make sure you voice your concerns to someone who can amplify your voice and or do something about it. Yeah, I tell Amy. So... <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know what, Matthew, thank you again so much for coming on to the Greeners podcast and sharing your perspective because you know what? Surgical nurses, more power to you.
1: Thanks for being our recurring guest. (laughs) I will always
2: be a recurring guest, just like a
1: herpy.